So you get your money's worth on the uh, intro music now. <laughs> now that this is not a mini. Hey, this is 372 pages we'll never get back. Michael J. Nelson here. With and Con- Connor, you're there, I assume. Connor Lestoka is here, too. Yeah, this is like a... This is a fun thing where if you're if you're just hearing us for the first time in a couple weeks after we finished up Moon People, uh, we probably sound you know normal and this sounds like a normal episode. And everyone else who's been listening to these uh, daily quarantine episodes on Patreon is like, my God, no, they've they've lost their minds. They're talking about <laughs> Alf and Beethoven and uh, <laughs> doing Andy Rooney offs and not, you know. And not, understand, Alf and Beethoven wasn't a range. That was a very narrow range. It's like two geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're talking about yeah. That, yeah that was our genius off episode but yeah this is like when you uh when you comb your hair and put on a non uh, big johnson tag top for the zoom meeting that your work is doing uh these are the that's what the normal episodes are like and then the pay the quarantine minis are, are behind the curtain right and so and you know sometimes even for those the zoom meetings where you comb your hair and put on a shirt to pant too yes if you're really feeling shishi <laughs> so that's what we're doing what? pants are on and we're ready to go. Oh, that I, I didn't think we had agreed to that one second. Oh, I, I, all, right. all right. We'll wait. Yeah, but uh, so we're, we're back with, uh, this is book 12, and it is Digital Fortress by Dan Brown. This is the fir- first time, I think we're talking about it on here, but we did a poll on Patreon to see what people wanted to do. And this uh, handily won out. I think it won out by like yeah, at least 10% over the next book, which was Artemis by Andy Weir. So it's a uh, first Dan Brown book I've read since I think one called The Lost Symbol, which uh, I read back in probably 2008. Uh, what's, wow. your, what's your Dan Brown background? Uh, none at all, except reading, uh, you know, coming across those articles like, you know, 15 of Dan Brown's worst sentences and, <laughs> <laughs> and laughing at those. But I've never, I've never encountered. Uh, uh, well, I think I saw... I think I saw the movie, the one with Tom Hanks and the bad hair. Yeah. And that's about all. I saw it because I had uh, time to kill. I was without my family, and it was, like, super long, and I saw it. And I think, you know, I did the uh, nap during the day kind of thing and yes. <laughs> uh, went out of it refreshed. I don't really remember anything about it. I also remember that uh, Angels and Demons, which was the sequel to that, or maybe the prequel, I, I don't remember, but it came out. It was the second one. And uh, around San Diego, they did this. Uh, promo campaign, maybe it tied into Comic-Con, but they went out with stencils and like chalk graffitied sidewalks all over town, like all over my neighborhood. And it was, you know, it wasn't like sidewalk chalk. It was some sort of chalk that evidently was very hard to get off of the sidewalks because oh, they, they stuck around for a while. <laughs> so you'd just be walking around, you know, weeks after this movie had came and went and nobody cared and just be like, I guess that still says angels and demons. That's, that's really obnoxious. That is, that, that, that could backfire easily. Yeah. But yeah, I had read uh, both of those books, and I, I remembered you know them being page turners, but also being like, I'm pretty sure these are bad. And so this was the book that came out before all of them, and reading it has uh, has reminded me uh, exactly uh, exactly what I remember thinking was bad about them. All the things are there, and I think uh, people have have very quickly seized on them as well as as evidenced by the uh, uh, sheer amount of uh, convincing fanfic that came pouring in. Yeah, my my first takeaway is we we knocked on um, Dale M. Courtney for his seeming lack of coherence in just dividing up his chapters because it was all one <laughs> roll of paper. This chapter divides are just pretty absurd. Here. Yeah, it's They're yeah we, attempting to make it look like this is a, a short scene in a movie or something, but it, it's taken that to absurd lengths. Yeah, we knocked uh, Dale M. and we knocked Shadow Moon for not having the. 
uh, like, you know, just star, star, star type of things. But yeah, Dan Brown makes those star, star, star paragraphs into his own his own chapters, and they, they happen right off the bat. So we read the first nine, which sounds uh, imposing, but it was really a, it's a quick read, you know, that's one thing. It's a it's a page, page turner more than anything, but that's because there's not a lot of substance here. No, indeed. Uh, but we should announce that we, we have all the departments. Correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a ton of emails. And we got a ton of dumb sentences, and we got uh, maybe the most fanfic that's ever been recorded. I think we got it. I mean, we, we got a lot that we couldn't use just because it's, uh, you know, we can't just do an entire real or fanfic episode. But maybe we'll use some in a future episode. Maybe we'll uh, just post those on Discord or something. But well done, everybody. You really you really picked up on <laughs> what he was wow, putting down. So quickly seized on his, uh, on his style. Man. Yeah, yeah. So you might have to uh, figure out. Other things to seize on because a lot of people went to the to similar wells, but we don't want to get ahead of that. We should just uh, <laughs> okay. we should we should we should delve into into the book, and uh, I think it you know the first thing I noticed was the the acknowledgement section uh, said that a quiet thank you to two faceless ex NSA cryptographers who made invaluable contributions via anonymous remailers. Without them, this book would not have been written. So we know who to blame. It is these two uh, faceless ex NSA cryptographers. That put this in our hands. Oh, there it is. Yes, I didn't. I passed right over that. Yeah. And then there's some garbage about his parents or something. So, Right. But then we get to the prologue. Mm-hmm. Prologue was a brief uh, section that didn't make much sense at the time. But during this uh, first nine chapters, we learned who he was talking about. Ensai Tankado. Yes. Th- this prologue put me in mind of... Uh, you know, you look at it and you go, hmm, it's a little puzzling. Obviously, it's just a teaser. But I did thank my lucky stars it was not a Shadow Moon prologue, <laughs> which was, wasn't that? Oh, that was. Like 15 pages or more? That was probably pages? more words than we read in this section alone. I'm sure that was 13,000 words. Yes. Uh, so this was brief. Yes. It's just the story of a man named N.C. Ensai? And sure. Ensai Tancado. Tancado. Who dies in Sevilla, Spain. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's and sort of that's like it. your, that's your, like you said, that's him. If you're going to make the movie, this is what you do before like the title hits type of thing. It's the cold open. Yes. So that is over quickly. I don't really have any notes about that. No. Uh, moves quickly on to chapter one and chapter one introduces our first two characters, our main characters. And it introduces a theme that, boy, do I hope it's going to be constant throughout the book which may be that Dan Brown puts previous horny 372 authors like uh, Jim Tice and even, I'm going to make a bold claim, even the woman who wrote The Mister puts him to shame. Wow, puts The Mister to shame? Well, hear me out. Uh, okay. So that, book was, that book was only written to you know be horny and titillate. And you know, it's, I think it's different when she's, she's writing these these female the female authors writing about these sex scenes i think it's a little it's a little more i don't know empowering type of thing versus this which is pretty much a cartoon wolf with his tongue lolling out over the table and banging banging himself on the head with a mallet yeah i don't know is this better or worse than you know grandpa no kind of horniness <laughs> i have a note about that i i assume dan brown is is that grandpa age so there he probably he has those now probably not when this was written yeah um 
But that, that, that's my claim, and it's, uh, it, pay, it plays out over and over again. And uh, it's, it's sort of, we hit, he hits us with us right off the bat. We have the main character uh, moaning sensually when her... Uh, that was going to be my immediate sonic challenge for you. Oh, God. <laughs> it's three M's, I, she moaned sensuously. So. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, well, you know. I instantly regret. It's a, uh, I haven't even finished a cup of coffee. <laughs> But yeah, so that's David Becker has canceled a trip with Susan Fletcher, but she says, uh, I was just dreaming of you. Come over and play. He says, it's still dark out. And that's when she moans sensually. Well, then definitely come over and play. (laughs) So that's, yeah, that's Mr. Level, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I guess it is because it's uh, a guy doing it. Right. A little little weird. (laughs) Yeah, so he, what does he do? He, He has the... Uh, sensuous woman immediately start taking a bath uh, before we've even really gotten a chance to know her. Yep. Um, she's uh, soaking in a... Uh, oh, this is a, a nice uh, feature to tell you how baths work. Uh, gradually, <laughs> the water around her went from hot to lukewarm. And finally, back to hot? No, to cold. <laughs> so I was good to know. Right. But that's how water cools. Thank you for that detail. Yeah, it's not on an alien planet where the uh, laws of thermodynamics have changed. Yes. And th- that sentence leads right into this one. She was about to get out when her cordless phone buzzed to life. So that's a, g- a good reminder that this does take place in 1998. So I-, I-, I thought we could maybe just run down like what technology was like in 1988 to set the stage. Like, where oh, were you? Did you say 88 or 90? 98, I'm sorry. 1998, okay. yeah. So, like, what was your, what were you doing in terms of the internet in 1998? 1998. Um, let's see. I might have been, well, I was still on Mystery Science. Okay. And we still, we had a writing room with the computer that was not hooked up to the internet. Wow. So, everything that we were saying was subject to our own memory. We did not. We had no way to instantly check things. But but the uh, internet was available. Like, I was on AOL. Was available, My family was in sure, 94. Sure, but to have, um, you know, the connection, we, <laughs> we would have had to, you know, we would have had to log on. And sure. It wasn't unlimited, so you didn't have it. Right. Since it wasn't unlimited, it just seemed, you know, we, we could check it later or whatever. But it just seemed like odd that it wasn't just right there. Right. It doesn't, like, you don't want to have to be like, was was Charles Nelson Riley on Match Game 77? And then 30 seconds of modem noise, you know, three <laughs> minutes of navigating to Lycos or something. And then, yes. And I remember that, um, I mean, I guess uh, having a really good cordless phone was, you know, <laughs> something that you... <laughs> But we, I, I had college, uh, or college. Uh, I had phones, right? Cordless yeah. phones. Yes. <laughs> so I. That's, yeah. That's it's, not really a yeah. point of pride, but flex, yeah, you yeah. could shop for a good one, or you could have the cheap ones. You know. Yeah. So. But yeah, so it's just it's fun to remember that this was that era where not everyone was online, and so it certainly seemed novel. You probably had a, a hard drive that was under a gig, and um, maybe had a a, a double speed CD ROM drive if you had one. Oh, I remember the moment um, my uh, a producer there at MST got a computer with a gig, and he had everybody. <laughs> he showed everyone. <laughs> what he just you know clicked on space available. <laughs> wow, yes. you get, went home and threw your zip drive in the garbage. Right. 
Um, uh, so yeah, we'll get a lot of that. So yes. that'll be fun. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but Susan, yeah, she gets out of the, uh, she sloshes water out. So I'm pic- picturing that as she grappled for the receiver and then she drips on her own clothes. And so, yes. yeah, it's horny adjacent through the whole thing. Yeah. She's dripping on her clothes as she packs, uh, the clothes she had, or she, I guess she puts some, puts away the clothes she was going to pack the hiking shorts the sweater for the cool mountain evenings, and the new lingerie she'd bought for the nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, but she's she's doing all that because the call has told her there's an emergency in crypto, and crypto is where she works. So she, uh, that's I think that's where that ends. Uh, I like I do like sentences like this, though, that, and, you know, our other authors, to various levels, have either tried and, and most have failed horribly to put a button on the end of their chapters. I think that's yeah. a feature of our bad authors. Uh-huh. This one uh, does does it, but does it poorly, and I think it's sort of comical. As she went downstairs, Susan wondered how the day could get much worse. She was about to find out. <laughs> yes, we do get several of those. <laughs> Is she really going down the stairs, wondering how it could get much worse. Right? Yeah, I guess it's how you know how a soap opera ends. Uh, traditionally, you know, there's a knock at the door and it's opened and it's the X lever, like it's that over and over again. Right. Uh, and then chapter two, another one of his, you know, moving the narrative along chapters. Yeah, 98 words oh, in chapter counted, two. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, you did a word count on the <laughs> on the dock. And uh, nothing. He's just on his plane. Yeah. He's been it, ordered to go. It's David Becker, who we we don't know much about yet, but yeah, he's. Flying somewhere because he's doing a favor because there are some men you just don't say no to. Yeah. So it's already it's sort of setting the stage that this goes all the way up to the top. I feel like we're gonna be we're gonna be dipping into that voice register often during this. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) These are serious men saying serious things (laughs) to Um, really attractive women. Uh, well, one really attractive woman, as we as we go on to learn in chapter three, I think that's where we start to get sort of the background about uh, Susan Fletcher and her work in the NSA crypto office. Oh, chapter three is kind of the meat. This is the tent pole, I believe, for this uh, section. So <laughs> tent pole, you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Intentional. Yeah. Where does yours start? Uh, well, I'm just uh, this John fella. Is a real creep. Okay, yeah. John, John the, uh, I assume he's the, uh, let's see, he's the guard for the main checkpoint. <laughs> to the NSA crypto facility authorized personnel only. Yes. She uh, comes through and waves at, you know, just one of those, the guys, hey, how's it going, Miss Fletcher? Hi, John. Right. And then uh, as she walks away, John begins uh, the horny wolf thing. Oh, man, it is lengthy. It is amazing. Um <laughs> Uh, you wanna you wanna do it? Sure, yeah. Uh, the guard admired Susan as she began her walk down the cement causeway. He noticed that her strong hazel eyes seemed distant today, but her cheeks had a flushed freshness, and her shoulder-length auburn hair looked newly blown dry. Trailing her was the faint scent of Johnson's baby powder. His eyes, so he keeps going, his <laughs> eyes <laughs> fell the length of her slender torso to her white blouse. With the bra barely visible beneath, to her knee-length khaki skirt, and finally, to her legs. Susan Fletcher's legs. 
Hard to imagine they support a 170 IQ, he mused to himself. <laughs> oh, man. It, I, think, I feel like it is telling on Dan Brown just a little too much there. Well, it goes on. So after all of that, it's, it says, he stared after her a long time. <laughs> yeah, we got that picture. It's already been a long time. Well, how how long is the causeway or whatever she's walking down? <laughs> uh, yeah, you like you're, you're going to imagine her being like, "What is that?" And it is, you know, he he starts like cranking his tongue back into his mouth as it had, you know, been just trailing her down the causeway. Now, what does this tell us about John? Because if you, uh, you know, you're doing the, you're just letting your instincts go and you're watching a very attractive woman are you noticing things like her cheeks had a flushed freshness <laughs> right are you in your own mind going look at that shoulder length auburn hair <laughs> that looks like it's been newly blown dry right yeah What's and that th- smell something smells that's johnson's baby powder. yeah that is not something this guy <laughs> would be able to <laughs> it's just very odd details that John, the uh, guard at NSA, is noticing. Uh, yeah, he's 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 doing the uh, he's he's folding his newspaper slowly, standing up, leaning out of the uh, security guard sort of toll booth vestibule. I, I wonder, you know, if his his wife or significant other is chastising him of looking at women, and then his defense is, "Yes, but I'm being very upscale about it. I'm noticing her <laughs> auburn hair, right? the faint smell of baby powder. I'm not just, you know... <laughs> I'm only doing it to the women with genius-level IQs, honey. But yeah, the... And, and, the- and as she's walking away, I'm noticing her flushed cheeks. I mean, come on. I'm really good at this. <laughs> right. I'm painting a mental picture. I'm Rembrandt of horniness. Um, but uh, he, he... And then the, a lot of people pointed this out as just the finally to her legs, Susan Fletcher's legs is like just a, a gross, uh, needless artistic flourish, I guess. We, we know who it is. He knows who it is. Like, she's not a celebrity or anything. It's not like he's doing like, I can't believe I'm getting an autograph from, uh, you know, Britney Spears or something. It's, it's just like, you know, it, it, it struck everyone as extremely strange. Sure. Finally to her legs, Mark Cuban's legs. <laughs> no, we know there is. Yes, yes. That struck me as especially creepy because it's trying to imply this sort of, like you say, celebrity thing, which means that John has... The m- number of times he's been horny. Right, yes. That yeah. she's been in the spank bank for John for a long time. Yes, there's a... makes it so much creepier. There's a scene in Ocean's Eleven where I think Matt Damon, uh, someone comes up to him and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, this is the best part of my day. Oh, yeah. And he's watching uh, <laughs> Julia Roberts just descend a staircase in a in a uh, ball gown or something. I was like, <laughs> how long have you been doing this? Um, yeah, I, if if you were the actress, if you were Julia Roberts, and that was the setup for that, I, I don't. I would say, guys, I'm going to take a pass. On yeah. this. <laughs> I'm right. embarrassed to be a part of this. Or you just make it a point to like walk by Matt Damon and like fart or something, being like, "Yeah, all right, now try to try to uh, try to wolf after me after this one." Mm-hmm. But uh, so yeah, Susan Davis does not do that because it's only Johnson's baby powder that he uh, he uh, trails after her. But she then goes on to. Uh, sort of be preoccupied with David, who had to leave her. What is David? David Becker. David Becker, not and the so, soccer player. David Beckham. Right. David Becker. But uh, you, this is going to shock you. Potentially a similar level of um, model esque attractiveness to David Beckham. This, 
I think this tops <laughs> the, the creepiness of the previous scene. This is so bizarre. Yeah, it is sort of, he, he resists the urge to say, like, they're both movie star level attractiveness for when you cast it, but he, he may as well. Uh, well, I mean, give him credit. He doesn't do uh, uh, the Ernest Klein thing of just saying, here's who he is. Right. <laughs> he makes a, a go of it. And I think it's worth reading this because of the detail that, that it ends on this okay. is a, a few uh this is a few short paragraphs got it uh, david becker the only man she'd ever loved the youngest full professor at georgetown university and a brilliant foreign language specialist he was practically a celebrity in the world of academia born with eidetic memory and a love of languages he'd mastered six asian dialects as well as spanish french and italian his university lectures at etym on etymology and linguistics linguistics were standing room only and he invariably stayed late to answer a barrage of questions. <laughs> he spoke with authority and enthusiasm, apparently oblivious to the adoring gazes of his star-struck co-eds. <laughs> guess we were calling them co-eds in 19... <laughs> sure. <laughs> Becker was dark, a rugged, youthful 35, with sharp green eyes and a will to match. His strong jaw and taut features reminded Susan of carved marble. <laughs> Over six feet tall, Becker moved across a squash court faster than any of his colleagues could comprehend. <laughs> After soundly beating his opponent, oh boy. he would cool off by dousing his head in a drinking <laughs> fountain and soaking his tuft of thick black hair. Then, this is going to cap it all off, all of that you just heard. Then, still dripping, he'd treat his opponents to a fruit shake and a bagel. <laughs> What? It has escalated quickly here. It has gone off the rails. So, what? Will, we will, yeah, let, we'll let, uh, the food in the book is deeply weird, uh, as we will come to see, um, but I think we should back up and, and take it from the top, kind of. Sure. So he's a, down. he's a celebrity in the world of academia who delivers standing room only lectures to, as you said, the adoring gazes of uh, starstruck co-eds. So you you earlier claimed that he didn't do the Ernest Klein and say that he looks exactly like, you know, um, uh, Brad Pitt or something. But he's essentially mm -hmm. calling to mind the uh, the beginning of Indiana Jones, right? The, where the girl paints I love you on her eyelids and sort of uh, makes, uh, sure. bats her eyes at him. Sure. And uh, the he it's sort of we, we've we've said this I've said this a lot but it has that sort of uh, royal Tenenbaums he had a born with a preternatural understanding of international finance it's like he doesn't stop at six Asian dialects he also just tosses on fluent in th in three languages um, and then I, I I said that if you had just sort of stopped before it got to the description I would have bet all the money in the world that he was going to have the word rugged applied to him yes <laughs> <laughs> but so but, yeah. The fact that the uh, dousing his head in a drinking fountain gets the full attention during this, you know, when you're just trying to paint a picture of someone, he's the kind of guy who douses his head in a drinking fountain. So he's um, okay. He's, he's homeless, and that's the only way that he's able to, to, to wash? What do the other people who have just watched a guy sweat all over a squash court, like, as he's moving faster than anyone can comprehend... What That's are they? Are they? One. Are they like? I'm just going to get a bottle of Avion. Actually, I will. Uh, I will pass up to water found that you've just, <laughs> yeah, just drenched like, with your sweat. They can't even comprehend his movements, so it's like flash levels of speed. Where they just, I don't even know what happened here today. 
on the squash court. <laughs> right. Yes, he's uh, he's in two places at once, and you know, over six feet tall. There, are, you know, there's lots of professional athletes who are who manage to be six foot tall and fast. So it's not like yeah. it's uh, unheard of to be. Um, but I did wonder about the drinking fountain thing. Um, in in small towns, I don't know if these are around in your area, but there's a lot of those lion head drinking fountains. They seem to be in the seventies. I think they made a bunch of them. Have you ever seen those? Like, like actually a, look like a lion's head? Yeah, it's a fiberglass. It's for kids. It's a fiberglass uh, lion head, and you stick okay. your head in there and drink them from the fountain. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar. <laughs> uh, but that's what I pictured. It's like maybe that's his gag. Like, I'm, look, I still got my head in the mouth. Uh, I don't know. But and then just to say, that even like the uh, you know, he's not even dosing on dos. Sorry. Uh, rinsing off his golden locks. It's his thick tuft of thick black hair, which is even more like, that sounds like the way you describe a clog you pull out of a drain or something. Yeah, it's the, uh, you know, we're doing a, a movie now with a, a, a eerie Russian assistant oh, yes. with a thick beard and a thick hair. It's like, yeah. okay. Mm. So it's Igor then. All right. right. <laughs> but then, yeah, still dripping, he would treat his opponent to a fruit shake and a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> So I get he. I, would he produce it faster than they could comprehend? That's the other thing I want to know. Would he give them options what they wanted to eat? Like breakfast on me? Oh, great! I'll uh, I'll just you know sort of have something light since we just did a workout. Nope, fruit shake and a bagel is your only option. Hmm. I I'm actually allergic to strawberries. Can have here, no nope. two bagels. Bagel. Eat them both. Eat them faster than I can comprehend. <laughs> Yeah, David Becker. What a weird intro to this man. Yeah. Uh, The other thing, I I think I misspoke when I read it. Uh, It's sharp green eyes and a wit to match. Oh, yeah. yeah, It did make me wonder what what wit matches sharp green eyes. I don't. That's, I assume it's it's just clumsy, and he's supposed to say that the eyes are sharp, and so there his wit. The is wit sharp. is also sharp. Yeah, I get that, but sharp green eyes don't necessarily get, match wit. I we think. get another uh, odd. I think it's a more of a mixed metaphor coming up later. That I that was the one that I I shared with Lauren. That is, uh, I don't think a lot of this would have passed by a, a, le- a legitimate editor who wasn't focused just on cracking the bestseller list. Right. Well. All right. That's that's David. Well, we one more on one him. more thing about him. One more thing about him. It yeah. says this, which uh, I found hard to sort of wrap my head around. As with all young professors, David's university salary was modest, and I just have people are probably going to write in, but like a Georgetown University professor is really are they are they eking by on the under the poverty line here? Also, it's, doesn't he have some? He has some pull on that area because he has standing room only lectures <laughs> yes right. outright celebrity there and yeah i think that that would give him a little leverage on the bargaining table it, exactly he's being recruited by the ivy league i guess but yeah georgetown is a uh tony part of town and uh, a hard school to get into so it's 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 hard to imagine that he uh from time to time when he needed to renew his squash club membership or restring his old dunlop with gut he earned extra money doing translating work for government agencies in and around Washington. So he's literally uh, having to having to pick up extra work so he can restring his tennis racket. And and so what's he doing throwing around this bagel and fruit shake money like it's going out of style? <laughs> right. And it might you just won. Be... Make the guy buy it for you, dumbass. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so yeah, we'll we'll have to. I tried to look up how much a professor makes, but it, it there was no obvious. 
answer there, and I quickly lost interest. But uh, it was on one of these extra money jobs that he had met Susan. Right. Um, so that's David. I don't think I have anything else there. Uh, it's, oh, I had... no, I do. I do uh, oh, I do, because this chapter, I just thought this chapter ended. No, this is a long that... chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, uh, I think he's doing his workout his jog, and then he downs, he downed a quart of orange juice as he listened to the playback on his uh, machine. He had a message when he got back. I mean, isn't that all that acidic liquid is like etching his marble face, isn't it? Right, and the the everyone at this point knows that like Tropicana orange juice is pretty much soda in terms of its uh, sugar content. Yeah, a quart, <laughs> thirty-two ounces. Wow, <laughs> how many uh, how many grams of carbs is that? It's got to be hundreds. I, it's yeah, and that, that's a pretty quick down of a thing. If he's just getting a message from someone uh, requesting a job, maybe in a minute, like literally powering it down. Right, right. Uh, but it's the NSA calling. Yes, and, and they sort they of set it, it up. Yeah, they set it up as this being uh, it was before the NSA was widely known. I guess. Uh, they said, claimed that in 1998, only 3% of Americans knew about it. And it seems like it's widely known now. I guess there's been uh, scandals or stuff like that that has sort of made it more uh, more widely known. Yeah, I think he's you know ahead of the curve on the, the issues of the NSA spying on Americans. I'll grant him that little bit of uh, foresight. We got an email from Christina that I'm going to read now. She said I, I, she, she had the same thoughts but she said she tried to give it the benefit of the doubt remembering this was written in the 90s and couldn't quite recall when i first heard of the nsa until chapter four with the phrase no more secrets i immediately recalled the classic 1992 film sneakers which prominently featured the nsa so i saw that film in the theater and i guess that was probably the, uh, the the way that most americans learned about it oh right yeah yeah i saw that movie yeah hmm. Not I'd, I'd forgotten good. that it was yeah. the NSA, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this is this is still as they've remained a, a a secret, and he goes on in, and we we get a first of many jargon dumps as he goes there. We get this: uh, the NSA spoke of stream ciphers, self decimated generators, knapsack variants, zero knowledge protocols, and unicity points. And those those are going to come up more than more throughout the book, and sometimes they get elaborated on. Like this point, they do not. Yes. So they throw a bunch of code at him. Uh, we get no sense of who they are. This is very quickly gotten over. They just uh, hand him this, or they read dialect or give him something, give him little bits or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it says here, and this, this makes me feel way less safe. Each time he gave them a translation, the cryptographers shook their heads in despair. <laughs> Just like our cryptographers at the NSA easily despair like that. Like that does not seem a very solid trait. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, God, no, no. Right. Yeah. Relax, you know, relax. We have other guys. We have other resources. <laughs> right. You're, you're interpreting messages that are like nuclear attack planned on U.S. soil. So you, you, you ought to be able to hold it a bit more together because you're going to have to probably help people stop that attack. And then he, uh, so we, we talked about this beforehand. So his big breakthrough is, um, and I don't know if you have any insight on this. I didn't really understand that he was using the wrong uh, translations. Oh, he'd been given Mandarin translations. But then he said, let's try the kanji. 
and like yeah. magic, everything fell into place. Yeah, so they the, the cryptographers were doing this all wrong, and he had this insight because he knows six Asian dialects. And I did not have any insights into this, but many listeners wrote in. I guess we have a, a shockingly high number of uh, Japanese speakers on this uh, in this listenership. So it got four separate emails from people. I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase from them, but uh, this does not add up. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> this is like uh, I'm not, you know what's your area of expertise? It would be like if you read something about Beethoven that was 100% factually inaccurate, passed off as uh, pop science essentially. Oh right. Okay. Or if I read something about you know, Alf, and it was like, he came from the planet Blorg 9. And I'm like, well, that's not true. Uh, but yeah, so so this is what Andy wrote in. He said, I may not be the youngest full professor at Georgetown, but I speak Japanese, some Chinese, and have done translation in the past, including translating the cheesy squid legs package that Mike ate on Like Trees Walking. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but he said, kanji are not individual words. Japanese is a highly contextual language, and kanji are used as a mix with other Japanese original characters. The characters largely have a similar basic meaning across the languages they're used in and can help you figure out something you don't know if presented in context, even if not exactly the same. But presenting them out of context would be like having individual letters or stretches of letters. So... David's revelation would not help there. Uh, Mike wrote in, said, Kanji isn't a language. It's part of the writing system. Kanji are pronounced differently in Japanese, but their meanings are usually similar or identical to the Chinese, so the codebreaker's confusion makes no sense. Um, and he also goes on to say that just writing it in just kanji would be bizarre and nonsensical and involve, at a minimum, dropping grammatical particles. Think caveman or robot speech. Uh, and then Theodore said, according to chapter three, he's mentioned six Asian dialects. I'm assuming Dan Brown doesn't know the difference between a dialect and a language and didn't feel like looking up three more languages after listing Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. For what it's worth, <laughs> Japanese has 17 dialects. Uh, the alternative is that Dan Brown thinks all Asian people speak the same language, which would make him even less culturally aware than Ernest Klein. And then one more guy, Thomas, says... The fact that Brown describes kanji as a language when in the very next package he correctly identifies it as a Japanese writing system derived from Chinese characters is frustrating. Uh, <laughs> anyone with the passing knowledges of East Asian languages can distinguish between Chinese and Japanese writing at a glance, so it makes no sense that an entire room full of NSA co-breakers working for hours would fail to notice what they were working with. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like... A, you know, entirely accurate. So take that into account as we read future things about codes and Schrodinger's cats and all these things. What is the name for that phenomenon where you read something and pass over it or take it as, you know, accepted on face value that it's true and then you turn the page and see something you know about and go, <laughs> that's not true at all. And then blithely read on assuming the rest of it is true. If it doesn't have one, I think uh, that Dan Brown Kanji syndrome would be a okay. fine thing to uh, assign to that. Uh, but then, uh, so he does his little job. He he gets the breakthrough, and he's leaving. Uh, sticks <laughs> sticks his head into a uh, a couple of fountains on the way. Can't help himself. Uh, but the, he's stopped because the and now we get a the greatest the doctor is a woman moment I think <laughs> yeah. I've read yeah. in quite some time. The head of the cryptography division wants to talk to him. She's on her way out now. <laughs> she. <laughs> Becker laughed, spitting out one quart of orange juice <laughs> onto the person. Yeah, he italicizes she. And then he says he had yet to see a female inside the NSA. 
Is that a problem for you? A woman's voice asked from behind him. Becker turned and immediately felt himself flush. The head of the NSA's cryptography division was not only a woman, but an attractive woman at that. Uh, so it just goes on to emphasize she must, it's like, I just, am, I need a comparison. Like how attractive a woman can she be? Because it seems like she's coming to work like red carpet ready, um, but also like really sexualized too, <laughs> like for, from the, uh, from the way that all these people look at her. So it's well, like bra barely visible. Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and but also yeah, this obviously this moment is supposed to be, um, what's the movie with Tom Cruise and you can't handle the truth? Uh, uh, a few good men. Know, yeah, a few good men where you know he has to work with a woman and you know she's standing behind him and oh wow, I didn't is that, that going happened. to be a problem, Tom Cruise? No, <laughs> ma'am. You know that's what it's supposed to be. So. Right. Uh, um, just picture that in your head. And I I spoke too early when I said that uh, we didn't know. How attractive she was. We needed some signifier because as she smiles, she holds out her long, I mean, I'm sorry, she holds out her slender hand. And I don't know about you, but I, to me, slender implies long fingers and uh, the streak continues. Yep. I mean, it can't, you can't have a slender hand without them. The fingers will then appear long. Yeah, exactly. They're not, yeah. Her slender hand with her stubby fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then, so after the meeting, 10 minutes later, Becker was in the NSA's commissary enjoying a popover and cranberry juice <laughs> with the NSA's <laughs> lovely head photographer, Susan Fletcher. The food is weird in this book. And I guess this, this, uh, this guy is just powering down the sugar and carbs to maintain his chiseled physique. Uh, this, again, seems like unforced errors in description <laughs> revealing stuff about yourself like i'm really into these weird fruit you know fruit and and uh pastry combinations airy pastries yeah okay but keep them out of your book yeah people don't normally power these things down so uh, just go with something a little more generic or something we went to uh, acadia national park uh, a couple years ago and a friend had been there and he said like oh you got it you got to pop into this lodge or something they're known for their popovers and 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 that checked out when you read like the reviews of it. It was like we went in here for popovers, and I'm like everyone's just going here for a a popover, something that is essentially a dinner roll that you have to put lard up with jam and and butter to make it have any sort of resembling a good taste. We did not go. Aren't uh, popovers the the better ones? There's like less popover to it, right? The middle is just empty, and it's like, like a muffin top. Shell. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a like flaky. Um, pastry top yeah yeah it doesn't I, I don't know it's kind of like um you know bread sticks are, that, are, <laughs> are you gonna lead with that i mean yeah yeah well, seriously it's it's a piece of bread but it's in the form of a stick <laughs> you get unlimited of them too yeah. oh great <laughs> yeah they don't have salt on them like a pretzel it's like an unsalted pre- anyway we're gonna get a uh, big pop over angry at us now Oh, man. And Big Cranberry, which is in uh, <laughs> my neighboring Wisconsin, I believe, makes most of the cranberry juice. They're so. bogs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you see them everywhere. All right, so they uh, he misses his uh, squash match mm-hmm. to uh, stay and, and eat popovers with the unbelievably attractive uh, head of the NSA cryptography division. <laughs> and uh, they, they start bantering. I'm, I, it's with a heavy heart, I must inform you. They start bantering, and uh, let's see what. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. She uh, she gets off a great, great <laughs> joke. 
Uh, oh, I just want to point out that so they they sit and they talk for hours, and then we dot dot dot. It's mm-hmm. a little bit later. Their courtship was slow and romantic. Like moments later, they told us that they it, it was immediate infatuation. <laughs> <laughs> now it's very very slow, and they're circling each other. They're not sure what to do uh, with each other. Uh, but we get yeah, we get a lot of funny banter, and. Um, here, I'll just read this one, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I, t- I took a little adventure um, after I heard this banter. and I, okay. I uh, Well, anyway. What sport did you say you play? Susan teased. Zucchini? <laughs> um, was, that, was that preceded by play any sports? I'm a black belt and stairmaster. And the, the response to that is, is, is quite legitimate, actually, after all the weird behavior. Becker cringed. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're all uh, Becker in that moment. Now, put a pin in your notes because I have to skip ahead just a little bit. Okay. Um, just just to pull this off, so you might have more notes here. But uh, uh, here's the describing her: her delicate European features and soft brown eyes reminded him of an ad for Estee Lauder. <laughs> if Susan's body had been blank, is everyone pulling up your platonic <laughs> ideal of an Estee Lauder ad? I don't know if he's talking print or TV. I don't know. Uh, yeah. If Susan's body had been lanky and awkward as a teenager, it sure wasn't now. Somewhere <laughs> along the way, she had developed a willowy grace, slender and tall with full, firm breasts and a perfectly flat abdomen. Ooh. David often joked that she was the first swimsuit model he'd ever met with a doctorate in applied mathematics and number theory. <laughs> so he... He often joked. Yeah, like he this. often makes that. Yeah, that's his uh, his introduction Which, at parties. I don't know if that gets old, but I wanted to find out. <laughs> so I uh, I took to the uh, local uh, open stage. Oh wow! I put together a quick uh, routine based on the humor of this chapter and type um, five. Uh, it's, I, I I had to pull the pull the ripcord before five. Okay. Baby. Well, we've been doing a lot of tight fives lately, so yeah, yeah. If you are not a quarantine mini fan, we we did some uh, stand up, and so I was. I felt like I was. You know, I I dusted off the the old talents, and it did not go all that well. So oh, uh, <laughs> so I recorded it, and uh, let's let's give it a listen. Sure. All right. So give it up for David Becker. Hey, everyone. Great-looking crowd. Yeah, yeah. Except this guy here. He's looking down like he's tired. You okay, sir? Yeah, just tired. Played a lot of squash today. What's that? You played a lot of zucchini today? Zucchini. Doesn't matter. I've been dating a woman recently. She has uh, delicate European features and soft brown eyes. Reminds me of an ad for Estee Lauder. Now my girlfriend... (sighs) Blender drinks. Anyway, my girlfriend uh, had been lanky and awkward as a teenager, but uh, she sure isn't now. And somewhere along the way, she developed a willowy grace... Slender and tall, with full, firm breasts and a perfectly flat abdomen. Uh, Yes, she's the first swimsuit model I've ever met with a doctorate in applied mathematics and number theory. Can we... 
Can we wait on that? Anyway, as I was saying, she's the first swimsuit model I've ever met with a doctorate in applied mathematics and number theory. You already said that! I know, I often joke about it. Would you shut that off? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of wow. Hate it there. Did they bring out like the, the shepherd's crook to pull you off with that one? The uh, light in back was furiously flashing. I'll yeah, just the, say that. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the blended drink sounded delicious, though. I, I, I don't know if I uh, have the means to make any of those, but the first time I get to go out again, I'm going to have one of those. Uh, cranberry and a quart of orange juice, I assume. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, so I, I guess when he, when he often jokes about that, that's probably the uh, similar to, to the reception he would get. Uh, yes. Now, uh, yeah, let me let me backdate some of this because we've got some we, we, some information. It says that uh, Susan blushed and admitted she'd been a late bloomer, lanky and awkward with braces through her late teens. Susan said her aunt Clara had once told her God's apology for Susan's plainness was to give her brains a premature apology. Becker thought, "Wow, Aunt Clara." Uh, <laughs> invoking the uh, name of the Almighty to say that he had cursed her, uh, essentially with this with his plain features, and she's wow. she, she's got the she's she's the she's all that character. She's the ugly duckling, uh, cliche. Um, wh- why did he need to backfill that in there? Is it just going to be something about her character, or because I mean she's just been hot, 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 and I, uh, yeah, I don't who know. Who cares that she was you know not hot before? <laughs> I, maybe it's what keeps her modest or something or some, I don't know. It's maybe, maybe the world, uh, of the re- the Dan Brown readership just couldn't comprehend that a woman could have 170 IQ, but also be this hot. I don't know. They, they also went, she, <laughs> I heard that, um, she has a, a, another amazing trait. She is annoyed by this. In Susan's eyes, David was as close to perfect as she could imagine. Yes. <laughs> Chiseled out of marble, yeah. head in the drinking fountain. He That's sounds the like a close to perfect. True. Yeah, I guess so. He only had one unfortunate quality. Hmm. What is this? Does he scratch hmm. himself? Does he wear shorts too short? And you Online racist, of, maybe. You can like see a, his, uh, you know, his jock strap occasionally. That would picks be Picks his teeth with a, we cuts his toenails, uses the toenail clipping to pick right. his teeth. When he eats uh, potato chips, he does that thing of like digging them out of his back tooth and like, you know, swallowing them. <laughs> uh, no, it's none of that. Every time they went out, he insisted on picking up the check. <laughs> what a... A-hole. Susan hated seeing him lay down a full-day salary or on dinner for two, but Becker was immovable. Unbelievable. Susan learned not to protest, but it still bothered her. (laughs) I make more uh, money than I know what to do with, she thought. I should be paying. Yeah. So he's. it seems like he's actually like eking out like a potentially like a grocery store bagger's job. If he's laying down a full, full day's salary on dinner for two in, in 1998, it like just, dinner for two is probably, you know, unless they're doing something super fancy, that's like a hundred bucks. I don't know. Yeah. That's in fact, a in lot wine. of money. But it, it doesn't comport his, uh, he has to have a secret stream of money. Yeah. And that well, must be a plot point or something. Well, that's like at the, the stereotypical job interview question of your, your biggest fault and you're too hard of a worker. Like that's, that's yeah. his one un- unfortunate quality. He's too nice and generous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it annoyed her. Uh, but this was also another, another good thing that fits into the, the, the food theme established before. 
whether it was during trips to the Smithsonian, bike rides, or burning spaghetti in Susan's kitchen, David was perpetually curious. And I guess that's sort of meant to be a joke. Like, I'm a bad enough cook that I could burn spaghetti. But if it is, it, it, it fell flat with me because I was just like, how did they possibly do this? Like, in what... <laughs> did you did you let the water boil off for an hour and then have the pasta at the bottom of the thing in a in a in a paste that then burnt to the bottom of the thing? It, it, it annoyed me. Right, you it was obviously going for. Um, you've seen montages where people yeah. fall in love and they cook food together, but here's my little twist on it: they're burning the spaghetti. But <laughs> he didn't think enough about it to go. Wait, people don't actually do that. So <laughs> burn the, burn some steaks. I don't know. Whatever. Right. Um, here's an, uh, I'll, uh, I'll read this sentence and then I have a, I think a pretty good comparison to what's happening here. He asks her what it's like, like what her job is, um, you know, with cryptography. And he mm-hmm. says, you of all people should know, she says, it's like studying a foreign language. At first the text looked like gibberish, but as you learn the rules defining it's the structure, you can start to extract meaning. Becker nodded, impressed. <laughs> so... <laughs> so you're a professor of comparative literature at Oxford. Tell me about this Shakespeare guy. Yeah, he wrote plays. They're pretty good. He wrote them in English, but it's like, is it a little bit different English? Becker nodded, impressed. <laughs> That's a new robot pimp challenge. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is the most. She gives him like a basic. She doesn't even actually restate what it is. Just some... Very, the shallowest understanding. As yes. you learn the rules. Yes, yes, I know. Yeah. Then not... you start to learn. You, they told me you had 170 IQ. <laughs> this I... is the best. I, I'm smarter than that. You don't have to dumb it that far down for me. <laughs> uh, well, this is, the, uh, this is the, the last note I have for this chapter, but it's a, it's a big one. Um, it's more sort of detail about how she got her job. Mm-hmm. Um, at the NSA. So it says that she applied to the NSA at age 28. And at that point, she was the youngest candidate and also the only female candidate they had. Uh, Again, 1998, it seems, uh, you know, a little, little too young, a little too recently for that to be the case, but who knows? Um, They underwent individual polygraph tests, background searches, handwriting analyses, and endless hours of interviews, including taped inquiries into their sexual orientations and practices. When the interviewer asked Susan if she'd ever engaged in sex with animals, she'd almost walked out, but somehow the mystery carried her through. Be- Becker sat riveted by her stories. They actually asked you if you had sex with animals? <laughs> Susan shrugged. Part We get more banter here. Part of the routine background check. Well, David fought off a grin. What did you say? She kicked him under the table. I told them no. And until last night, it was true. Oh. Yeah. But, uh... Like, so again, I was curious about only female candidate in 1998, really? And like, is the NSA really asking this sort of thing? Like, I've had friends that have done background checks before or something. So I went uh, looking to see if this was actually NSA standard procedure. And since it is the NSA, they they record everything. Sure. They're bugging, you know, they bug themselves. And so there was a an info dump, like a, like a WikiLeak cable that ended up on the dark web of these type of interviews. Oh, wow. So yeah. was that in the, like the, uh, 
Julian Assange put it up there himself personally? And- uh, I, yeah, I think so. Or maybe one of his underlings. Like it didn't get all the same press as some of the some of the the war crimes did, but it was definitely like part of that same thing that just sort of flew under the radar till now because I guess no one wanted to listen to them or no one typed sex with animals into the. You know, search queue type of thing. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. But, yeah. So I, I just uh, I, I downloaded that. We can queue it oh. up just to see more of what the what the interview is actually like. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's run it. Cool. Thank you for coming in, Miss Fletcher. It's highly unconventional for the NSA to hire such a young and female candidate, but I assure you, we're not going to give you any special treatment just because you're jaw droppingly attractive. Um. Th- thank you. Is it true you were considered for the Phoebe Cates scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Like, just for that scene? How would that even work? But that's not important. Uh, we just have some questions for you, Miss Fletcher, to weed out the unsavory candidates. Answer truthfully, nobody's judging you. Nobody's watching from a secret room and pulling a Judge Reinhold from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Stop mentioning that movie. Okay. Have you ever used marijuana? No. Cocaine? No. Heroin? No. What about uh, prostitution? What? No. Ever been paid for sex or paid for sex? Of course not. Done any looning? No. Blow to pop? What is... No. Have you ever had sex with any animals? What? These are all standard questions. There's no need to get defensive. I I haven't had sex with any animals. Okay. If you did, uh, what animal would be your go-to? That doesn't seem appropriate at all. Uh, Chimp? Dolphin? Maybe pull a Catherine the Great? Please, move on to a different topic. I don't want to bang any animal. Very well. What about Alf? What about him? Gordon Shumway. Would you have sex with him? I just said... Uh, 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 uh. Alf is not an animal. Alf is definitely an animal. Alf is a Melmachian. He's an intelligent biped. He's covered in fur and has a snout. And yet, he developed a romantic attachment to Lynn Tanner. Even wrote and performed her a love song. What the hell does this even have it to do with... It was called, You're the One Who's Out of This World. What the hell does this have to do with my code breaking? Gonna put that as a maybe. Do not! How about Mario? The, the video game character? Uh-huh. He's a person, right? He, he's a 16-bit graphic. Ah, uh, so you're prejudiced against Italians. No, look. Sure, maybe if Mario was a real man. And what if he was wearing the raccoon suit? Ugh, unbelievable. Raccoon suit versus full-body tanuki suit. Does that make a difference? I don't think these are standard questions. What about this? Would you be okay with your picture being used to make a line of body pillow waifus? Uh, Of course not. What if a line of body pillow waifus was already rolling out in Japan based on pictures I took from the bushes outside your house every day? The NSA is employing people to lurk outside my house and take photos of me? Oh, I don't work for the NSA. Hey, uh, you got in here again. Hey, you! Hey, get out of here! Gotta go! So, yeah, it was, I guess, a guy who was a little... Uh, he had gone rogue a bit, um, They, but Dan Man. Brown left that detail out of the... But Wow. Specific It's interesting questions. that they do bug themselves, but I guess that that's... Yeah, that's true. It's on brand, yeah. Man. Weird. <laughs> I, I did know a guy who was uh, uh, getting, doing an interview for a uh, you know fairly prominent CEO position, and they do that kind of garbage. And oh, really? It, it amused the heck out of me. He was less interested in telling me what kind of things they had. <laughs> I was far more interested. 
where they're tossing, you know, high level questions at you. And then while you're trying to figure them out, uh, hitting you with embarrassing sophomore questions and you have to, you know, see what your temperament is. Cool under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It seems pretty uh, low level stuff like uh, hazing stuff. But right. But hey, if it gets the job done for them. <laughs> it would be, you know, a good long con to rise to that level where you're interviewing for those positions and then just, you know, lean into every single one of them. Yeah, just well, sure. burn it down. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had a weird college fraternity initiation. Well, I mean, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> right. Would you believe raccoon? That's right. <laughs> Not very common in that community, but... Uh, well, that's it for chapter three for me. Uh, I want to do... Uh... Same here. It gets into kind of technical stuff. Yeah. Um, but chapter four... I don't have a lot of notes, but it, it, it introduces the translator, translator, uh, which left out the A and the O at the end of the word. The, the, uh, so they pioneer, the NSA pioneered the sort of early aughts internet site naming conventions of you know, Flickr. I, also, and, I wondered if this uh, came to your mind, uh, who, if you can imagine one of our favorite characters speaking this word. Uh, that would be Rod from Birdemic. Trans there. Trans, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, it, it looks like the agreed upon spelling of S L R P N L. I think. Yeah, Solopan. Trans there. Oh, Rod. Uh, but yeah, so that was the uh, um, or the NSA's computer. I don't know if they get into how it was built here, but they 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 really get bogged down and how this came to be. And there weren't too many things that stood out other than I got a fun 1998 sentence, which was email had the security of conventional mail and the speed of the telephone. Yes. <laughs> so they, that is sort of like, I guess how it was, how you would pitch it to, uh, you know, your, your grandparents in, in the early nineties. Yeah. There's a long deep dive into things that I didn't understand. I assume anyone who does understand this stuff is probably finding the same sorts of errors that we got from, uh, kanji and uh, and all of mm-hmm. that yeah it's about uh you know sort of how codes work how you brute force codes which you know that's a term i'm familiar with for just trying to guess a password and uh that essentially they developed this supercomputer that can uh brute force any method of encryption regardless of how long the encryption key is in around 10 minutes which was uh unsurpassed in this world it used to take weeks if not months to do this which would render any code you were trying to break obsolete if it was an attack planned or something right and translator is like a (laughs) it's like a silo underground kind of with yeah power the sources running to it and cooling towers and all of this yeah they they welded it shut after putting in a million microprocessors with a couple readers pointed out like what if something needs to be replaced why did you have to weld it shut (laughs) <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> but they um, they talked about how they then like leaked word that it was they, they they essentially do the you know we will deny all knowledge of your mission like they leaked that it they they had not been unable to get it to work so that all the ne'er-do-wells would uh continue to send their their emails with impunity uh, not fearing that they had this translator built well here's a description of these ne'er-do-wells this is the one of the few sentences in this chapter that stood out to me Drug lords, terrorists, and embezzlers alike, weary of having their cellular phone transmissions intercepted, were turning to the exciting new medium of encrypted email for instantaneous global communications. <laughs> so, so they're hanging their heads because they, you know, they're ordering these uh, bombings of full hockey stadiums or whatever, and they're being intercepted, and they're like, ah, 
you know, this just gets tiring. I've got an exciting new medium yeah. for you. There's I an intern say. who's got a copy of Wired who's like, well, uh, <laughs> sir, I <laughs> I read that in a uh, in an old-timey newsreel voice. Uh, Drug lords, terrorists, and embezzlers alike, weary of having their cell phone television intercepted, were turning to the exciting new medium of encrypted email for instantaneous global communications. Oh, perfect, yeah. You could also easily leap to infomercial with the terrorist blowing, like, frustrated hair off of his forehead <laughs> after right. his thing was encrypted. And then yeah. the exciting new medium of encrypted email. And then everything turns color and he's super happy. Yeah. Has this ever happened to you? And it's a guy being, you know, tortured in a off-site location. Well, try email. That could be a... Uh, so he goes on and on about this encryption and kind of glosses over the fact that the NSA, he says, just sort of, they need to do this. Like, we can't, we have to intercept all stuff. We have to have the ability at all times to intercept all communications, which is... <laughs> This is thorny stuff we're getting into here. <laughs> yes. Very complex yeah. issue, but he nails it with a scant few sentences towards the end. Civil rights groups rejoiced, insisting the NSA shouldn't be reading their email anyway. Encryption software kept rolling off the presses, which is, I guess, something that encrypted. <laughs> I the missed that one. The NSA had lost the battle exactly as it had planned. The entire electronic global community had been fooled, dot, dot, dot. Or so it seemed. <laughs> so there's, he's just putting a little bow on what the whole, all the issues are around the NSA intercepting all of our community. Right, yes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of annoyed, and then they rejoice when they find out they're not. So, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the ethics at stake are, I guess, characters later object to that, but it is, it is sort of hand-waved away. A few people objected, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. What's the name of the group? I, I think is a, the real group. The the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yeah, yes. who is yeah very real and uh, you know is sort of like a, I guess an online ACLU type of group. But yeah, they they seem to be being made out to be the villains in here, which they sort of have a position that uh, you know you know a lot of people would probably agree with, regardless of uh, yeah. a lot of issues. Like don't don't look at our shit. It's a it's a violation of you know the Constitution. I guess. Uh, yeah. It is. <laughs> But enough uh, about that. Why don't we uh, end chapter four and move into uh, real or fanfic? Mm, all right. There well, it is. I'm out of shape. I don't know. I know. You haven't been uh, running up mountains and pushing huge tractor tiles, tires in the, uh, in the off season? I have not. I haven't been uh, looking at things that could be either real or fanfic <laughs> guessing in my spare time. It's not something that's readily available in real world. All right. Well, I think the first ones are always the hardest uh, before you latch on to what people are turning to or what the author really uh, is all about. So we've got uh, passages that might come from later in Digital Fortress and passages that our listeners wrote in order to try to fool Mike that they are real. And you're going to guess which ones are which. Traditionally, we do five. I did six this time just because we had so many come in. So I'm ready. I have my we'll pencil. See. Here's number one. They make a great carpaccio. Hale, Hale smiled. What do you say? Afterward, we could forget it. Snob. Hale sighed and turned back to his terminal. That was strike 89 with Susan Fletcher. The brilliant female cartographer was a constant frustration to him. Hale had often fantasized about having sex with her. <laughs> <laughs> Pinning her against translators, curved hull, and taking her right there against the warm black tile. But Susan would have nothing to do with him. In Hale's mind, what made things worse was she was in love with some university teacher who slaved for hours on end for peanuts. 
it would have a pity. It would be a pity for Susan to dilute her superior gene pool, procreating with some geek, particularly when she could have Greg. We'd have perfect children, he thought. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, my, my vote on this is going to be aspirational in that I hope this is fanfic, so I'm going to say it's fanfic. All right. Um, let's see. Number two. David Becker arrived in a cloud stirred up by the taxi, its yellow and white stripes now obscured by a patina of dust. The driver, indi- sorry, the driver flicked on the green light, indicating availability with a grim look after taking David's proffered outrageous tip and sincere thanks. The amphitheater of Italica, where their source indicated they should meet. David idly read some of the tourist information as he thought carefully of his approach. The amphitheater was constructed under the orders of Emperor Hadrian and was composed of brick and hewn stone. It had originally played host to gladiator battles. In fact, most of the events carried out inside the theater were considered blood sports. And so its grand tradition continues, mused David. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Dan Brown, history man, Hadrian, I'll I'll bite. I'll say it's real. All right. Uh, Here's number three. It wasn't just cryptography. Your fiancé was also working with us on developing an AI program. AI, Susan repeated. You mean artificial intelligence? Rodrigo nodded. We had developed <laughs> we, <laughs> we had developed one that was able to pass the Turing test. The Turing test was a test to see if a computer program could trick a person into believing that the program was a person too. It was developed by Alan Turing, one of the mathematicians on the team that deciphered the German Enigma code during World War II. In 1950, he published a paper proposing that a language program, now known as a chatterbot, could be considered smart if a person could not tell if they were speaking to the program or an actual human at least 50% of the time. That's quite significant, Susan said. But why did you need David? He's not even a programmer. Well, have you ever heard of the Chinese thought room experiment? Susan had. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I'm going to say that it's fanfic because the enigma was already mentioned, and so she would not have to have who Turing was explained Ooh. to her. All right. So that's going to be my... But I'm not saying that that's not a mistake of the book. Okay. So, <laughs> but I'm still going to say fanfic. All right. Number four. Open the glove compartment, Susan said. David pulled its handle, revealing a keyboard and tiny monitor display in front of his lap. What's this? Our lifeline back to crypto, Susan replied. This car is equipped with a remote transmitter that directs an oscillating frequency to translator. We can send encrypted messages directly to Chartruchian, but Strathmore won't be able to detect us right away. How much time do we have? David asked. Three minutes at most. I wouldn't count on more than two. Hmm. Oh, that is, you know, subtle. Uh, I'm going to say that that's fanfic. Okay. Uh, number five. Becker, sorry, Becker gazed down at the cadaver. Even hour after, even hours after death, the Asian's face radiated with a pinkish glow of a recent sunburn. The rest of him was a pale yellow, all except the small area of purplish bruising directly over his heart. Probably from CPR, Becker mused. Too bad it didn't work. He went back to studying the cadaver's hands. They were like nothing Becker had ever seen. Each hand had only three digits and they were twisted and askew. The disfigurement, however, was not what Becker was looking at. Well, I'll be, the lieutenant grunted from across the room. He's Japanese, not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, hmm. Uh, I'd like to do the aspirational on that, but I have a weird feeling that's real. Okay. Last one, number six. David thanked the waiter, eyeing the pair of hamburgers and baskets of fries. He snatched a pair of French fries from the basket and stuffed them into his mouth, chewing as he talked. So if Numataka, sorry, so if Numataka is using the net to set up the distributed network, can't we just watch everything that comes over the wire? Susan shook her head. No, that's not how it works. They're able to exchange the keys out in the open, but we can't do anything with them. David furrowed his brow. Why not? If we have the key and know where to intercept the data, what is stopping us from simply using it? You remember Diffie Hellman? David started to answer, but strapped his mouth shut. Susan grabbed the bottles of ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise. Say we want to exchange a key in the clear where anyone could get it. We agree to exchange ketchup, and now Numakata knows we are using ketchup as half our key. But you have mustard, and I have mayonnaise as our secret. So without Numakata knowing, we mix our secret condiments with the ketchup. Susan squirted two blods of ketchup on the plate, then added a dollop of mustard to one and mayonnaise to the other. She mixed them together. Now we have two different keys. Uh, question on that one? Yeah. Diffie Hellman? Yes, D-I-F-F-I-E dash Hellman. Diffie Hellman? Is that a name? I assume it's one of those principles that they are constantly inf- dumping on us. Oh, I thought suddenly there was uh, some. Oh no, 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 it's not, it's it's yeah, it's 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 like the uh, Bader Meinhof. Okay, it's not one of uh, Woodhouse's characters <laughs> who uh, raises newts. And... Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. I have to say fanfic. Okay. Well, you did pretty well. <laughs> you did pretty well. Um, but you you missed the first one. You missed the first one where uh, Greg Hale was fantasies about uh, oh, man. banging her against the side of translator. <laughs> oh, uh, no. That's, we have that to look forward to. He's inviting her out for Carpaccio, but she's turning him down, even though she's dating this poor geek. Uh, I don't know who that guy is, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, number two was the uh, taxi where the uh, the blood sports and uh, Hadrian yeah. uh, you said real that was fanfic written by Patrick oh, okay. it was well done um, it uh, I, I liked the <laughs> I liked the capper to that one it's very Dan Brown and so it's grand condition tradition continues <laughs> right. uh, number three you said fanfic that was uh, the Turing test uh, that was fanfic that was written by Curtis. I thought it was good. I liked the way that he introduced two different. Have you heard of this? And then explaining them things. That was something that a lot of the uh, a lot of the writers this time around seized on. Right. Because <laughs> it happened, I think, three times in this uh, in this section. Oh yeah, I hadn't picked up on that yet. Oh yeah, I mean, there was like uh, I don't remember, but uh, I-, I thought it. I thought it it happened. But uh, number four was open the glove compartment. Two three minutes at most. That was you said fanfic. That was fanfic written by David. Uh, number five was uh, uh, the Asian's face radiated a pinkish glow. Uh, he's Japanese, not Chinese. You said real. That is real. Submitted. Uh, Sarah submitted that one. Uh, it's odd. I don't know what it means when it says the rest of him was a pale yellow. But uh, yeah, <laughs> again, 1998. But yeah, so real, real. Uh, I think you are four for five at this point in time. And then you said number six, 
the, uh, the, the the condiment illustration of a principle. You said fanfic. That was fanfic written by Eric. I only realized reading it out loud that he put a little joke in there with Diffie Hellman as she's in, you know doing the, the yes. thing, illustrating with mayonnaise. So maybe that was a tip-off. But uh, yes. settle it down did, with your... It did cross my mind. Yes. With your in-jokes in the fanfic, people. We don't need to make them any easier for him to guess. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. So yeah, uh, five out of six. Well done. Uh, step up your game, people. No, I thought four we were... out of six because of the... The first two were. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yep, four out of six. Yes, you. Yep. You. Yeah. Um, Still, but, uh, I mean, eh, slightly, slightly above guessing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, a lot of those uh, people were Patreon supporters, and like we have alluded to before, we've been doing a uh, Patreon daily mini updates for everybody. We're going to be uh, trying our hand at writing our own novel here with uh, the Patreon supporters. So a lot of fun. Patreon.com slash 372 pages. Give it a shot. Give it a follow if you care to uh, support the podcast. Thank you, everybody who does. Yes, I'm uh, I'm feeling the glow of a minor, <laughs> minor victory. <laughs> well, don't bask in that too long because we have... Uh, we got a lengthy meeting chapter coming up. We always know that that meetings in our Rift Tracks movies make for the best, uh, most dynamic scenes. Specifically, thinking of that one in Plan Nine that is just two uh, army brass guys talking at a desk in front oh, of a deadly. world map for yeah, with a flag on the wall for deadly. <laughs> uh, yes, we meet uh, Straithmore. Yeah, Commander, the, one of the greatest men Susan has ever met. Uh, a, f- a father figure to her, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think who is he trying to get to. Uh, maybe Scott Glenn. Uh, I've brought Scott Glenn up before. You mean he's as an the, actor? Uh, he's an actor. Yeah, she, he's oh, going man. for some. You know, I don't know. Maybe um, that guy looks like Richard Branson. Who's uh, who's it? Kind of a rugged, but uh, you know, gruff but lovable guy right now. Who, who has the oh. gravitas to carry this off? I, I was thinking of. Uh, um, He's he was in like one of the X Men movies, Brian something. Uh, he's an old guy. He's not like uh, hmm. Brian Brian Cranston. Uh, no, not Brian Cranston. Uh, he's he's <laughs> definitely older. He crap. All right, we're wasting the podcast time <laughs> trying to come up with the actor. We're, not we're Brendan thinking. Gleason, who's like the the other version of that. The other version of Brendan Gleeson <laughs> is your clue to me. <laughs> uh, um, fine, fine. It's it, uh, Someone knows who I'm talking about. The, some guy gets it. Dan Brown is only 55? I just had that up in my... Wow. He's 55 now? Yeah, that is stunning. Born in Jan- June 22nd, 1964. Wow. So yeah, probably doesn't have grandkids. No grandpa, no. Yeah, but this, what, this was 1998. He was pretty, pretty yeah, young. Yeah, well, man brother um, anyway so yeah so, so she's uh she's under the he's a mentor a father figure and uh he he takes care of her because she's uh the only female cryptographer there at the nsa and then uh this stunning thing happens brian cox oh yeah brian cox so yeah uh okay <laughs> but yeah <laughs> go ahead didn't mean to interrupt because this is the second best part of the book one morning during her first year, Susan dropped by the new cryptographer's lounge to get some paperwork. There's a lounge where they have paperwork. Okay. <laughs> As she left, she noticed a picture of herself on the bulletin board. She almost fainted in embarrassment. There she was, reclining on a bed and wearing only panties. 
As it turned out, one of the cryptographers had digitally scanned a photo from a pornographic magazine and edited Susan's head onto someone else's body. The effect had been quite convincing. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so again, 1998... Not, uh, you know, not 1957, where even if this, you know, still unacceptable, but you could imagine that scene in a movie. Yeah. And not, uh, not like, you know, a forwarded email or like, uh, you know, cornering someone in the break room being like, check this out and passing it to them. Just posted Just out. Hanging up in the lounge. <laughs> and so they, he goes on to say that he fired this guy immediately, which like, it was just like... What did the guy think was going to happen? Yeah, that's supposed to be, and she says, uh, or he says here that after that, nobody messed with her again. Like, well, (laughs) everyone, I assume, would already know not to do this, number one. And number two, that if they did do it, of course they were going to get fired. (laughs) Yeah. This is not a brave act of someone protecting her. This is like... Well, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, mandatory it's like, oh, firing. Yeah, you start. You'd be the sort of thing where the guy's packing up his desk and's like, "What was in the cookies he brought and put put in like the break room?" Like now, I'm worried about that. Like he's a <laughs> he's an actual psychopath. Yes. Like even if you even if you hadn't scanned her head onto it, you, you went into the break room and posted pornography on the bulletin board. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like it, it gives you that that sort of uh, grandpa no moment uh, of of uh, you know revealing a little too much. I would say. Right. I uh, I worked for a brief time with a person who was a uh, uh, in PETA was a PETA person. Uh-huh. And would put uh, the very graphic posters of like hogshead droppers, you know, in the break room. <laughs> and the, the boss had to say, no, you can't do that. Uh, well, what, just like, dead animals? Yeah, just re- revolting. Dismembered, yeah. Dismembered animals and stuff like that. And, you know, meat is murder. And, and No, you, you can't hang those in the common area. Like, what? Why? It's just yeah. informational. Oh, the freedom of speech doesn't apply here? It absolutely doesn't. It's uh, no. d- <laughs> uh, Stunning, though, that she really felt like, this is, wow, this is, yeah. uh, this is really infringing. I'm going to change minds. Yeah, but yeah, so that's uh, that was that was a I, I thought a delightful moment, but it you know as as meant to demonstrate his thing, and as opposed to just like um, you know, a, a normal way, you could be like, come on, guys, like you know, I'm sticking up for her, and anyone who makes fun of her's got to go through me. It was a, a a true truly crazed moment. Yeah, probably didn't even you know she probably assumes it was him, but it was just the HR guy going, I'll just sign it with his name. It's not gonna, <laughs> of course, <Yeah. laughs> of course he's fired. Yes, yeah, really, we just got to keep this under wraps so the uh, you know ten million dollar lawsuit doesn't happen. Uh, but here's a here's a little section where the metaphors come at us <laughs> fast yep. and furiously, uh, and it's talking about uh, Strathmore and and Leland Fontaine, the head of the the whole thing. Yeah, Strathmore's uh, second in command. Yes. Now, only one man outranked Commander Strathmore there, Director Leland Fontaine, the (laughs) mythical overlord of the Puzzle Palace. Never seen, occasionally heard, and eternally feared. He and Strathmore seldom saw eye to eye, and when they met, it was like the Clash of the Titans. (laughs) Okay, we're on giants now. We were on overlords. Fontaine was a giant among giants. Great, stay with it. But Strathmore didn't seem to care. He argued his ideas to the director with all the restraint of an impassioned boxer. <laughs> so we got that was uh, the one I showed to Lauren. <laughs> we got mythical overlords, <laughs> titans, giants, and boxers. You know, yeah, three three sentences. But he's so 
someone who's known for for arguing their ideas. What would what would you say? Uh, you know, high school debate champion, a uh, you know congressman, uh, you know, a, a UN representative. Like, when was the last time you heard a, a boxer make a, an impassioned case for something? <laughs> like, what on earth is that? How did he pick that? I understand that he's saying like. Uh, but a boxer is impassioned, like he's so he's essentially he means he's like throwing haymakers type of thing. I guess. I mean, he could have said, you know, like he he went after it with the tenacity of a bulldog or something. I, sure. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if he's if he's not uh, concerned about just tossing in cliched metaphors, as he clearly not, since he used Clash of the Titans a few sentences earlier, he he, he had should have no mean no problem doing that. Um, what it made me picture in my mind was a, a robot knife fight. You know, <laughs> two guys who are like grizzled, yeah, <laughs> grizzled dudes, but then they're titans going at each other. So of course, one one of the robots has a knife strapped to his metal leg and <laughs> pulls that out. Yeah, it's Clash of the Robot Titans. Yes. Mm. Well, it is a digital fortress, so that's true. But I, I like this uh, this description just to just to make sure that they knew that not everyone is uh, hot as hell in this book. Strathmore was a rangy, thick fleshed man whose <laughs> whose muted features somehow disguised his hard nosed efficiency and demand for perfection. A few sentences later, we get he looked as bad as Susan had ever seen him. His thinning gray hair was disheveled, even in the room's crisp air conditioning. His forehead was beaded with sweat. And we get one more thing later. Oh, just later, he uh, Strathmore ran a hand across his sweaty scalp. So, <laughs> yep, just I in case, that out too. We we have a lot of sweaty people in our books. That's yeah, another theme. Yeah, find a water fountain, man. Like this is unacceptable. Long, long hands, sweating. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so yeah, I, so, apologies to Brian Cox, but that's who, uh, that's who it reminded me of. <laughs> Thick fleshed is rarely going to get applied in a, in a positive context, I think. Well, I wonder when his, uh, photo went up, would he, when they Photoshop someone's head on his body, put it <laughs> job of the hut. Thick fleshed. Um, this is funny that the, uh, the thought of, uh, civilian privacy rights gets a chuckle from Susan. <laughs> Strathmore shrugged the usual the EFFs all over me civilian privacy rights again Susan chuckled <laughs> those, those idiots <laughs> yeah it's a uh, if I mean EFF is if you spend any time on the internet in the early aughts like that's who you know Cory Doctorow was stumping for but it was usually just like we're going to try to uh, make sure that that gigantic corporations can't uh, abuse this nonsense so it's a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to be policing this stuff, and it's actually very difficult because they don't want to let it go. But uh, the chuckle is just one of the uh, many reactions uh, Susan Susan has to what he's laying down. I sort of started noticing them, and just I, I c- collected them all sort of back to back. Because so he gives her some some bad news, but these are some of the many reactions she had. So imagine it's the it's an Estee Lauder model. Right. But she's she's just acting like a, a three stooge here, or like a Charlie Callis. Like Susan's jaw dropped. Susan stared in amazement. Susan was flabbergasted. Susan almost fell out of her chair. Susan (laughs) gaped. Susan stared at him and almost laughed. So she's just having like seizures in this chair, um, you know, with her six inch heels and uh, pencil skirt type of uh, outfit. For those of you and and when I say for those of you, I mean everyone who's listening now who doesn't know Charlie <laughs> Callis, please go to go to YouTube and look up uh, Charlie. He probably did a Dean Martin roast or something that's uh, going to come up as the top hit. And just see if you can comprehend what 
humor was back in it is truly stunning 78 or so i would guess i don't know yeah when people Probably say just... it was better when we only had three channels and everyone was watching the same thing and there was this cohesion society, it was substantially worse because you were watching this and being like, I guess this is funny. <laughs> yep. I want your reactions to Charlie Callis. I, I look for those in, uh, in the emails. I know him because we combined, we compared uh, Shia LaBeouf's performance in Transformers to him as he's sure. uh, stammering and sweating and, and yelling. It's like, it's very much like that. Uh, I think you missed one. It's towards the end of her. Susan's face was a blank only an instant before going white. <laughs> so, yeah, she's doing all the things here. Right. She also knows what she's doing, I think, talking to this uh, sweaty, thick-fleshed man because she comes in and she's just like, you know, you, you, what's this emergency? It sounds like business as usual. What's the big emergency you got me out of the tub for? <laughs> <laughs> So she's probably like pulling, you know, Sharon Stones as well on this father figure of hers to try to get him to go to bat for her. Uh, so I don't have much on this chapter because it just, uh, it's one long sort of jargon filled description of uh, that this Ansa, what is his name? Sorry. Ensai Tankado. Ensai Tankado came up with an unbreakable code. So that's, yes. That's, um, all, that's all we get. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, and I think this might be where they say, uh, that the code is called Digital Fortress, and essentially it self-encrypts. That's all you need to know about it, and that means that um, it it won't. The, the translator will never know when it solved it because it self-encrypts, and so it's been running for fifteen hours, and that's um, it's in violation of the Bergowski principle, which means right. that every code must be breakable. But um, some of so, the jargon I noted was. Uh, well, sir, I tried an algorithm last March with a mil- segmented million bit key, illegal looping function, cellular autom- automata, the works. Have you checked for error flags? Maybe translator hit a glitch. The run's clean, but the pass key must be huge. <laughs> so I'm just imagining that as a you know episode of uh, CSI or whatever, like their enhanced type of uh, jargon. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, here's a, a run of it, the jargon. PGP, Diffie, Hellman, Zip. <laughs> Idea, EI, Gamal, translator broke all of them. Sorry, translator broke all of them. <laughs> DSA. And then we get a little uh, uh, thing on Josef Harna, uh, okay. a Hungarian mathematician, uh, and on and on. So, anyway. oh, is that the, the principle of the safe? Uh, yes. Yes, Harna's safe. The point being, the whole chapter was to establish the MacGuffin. We have this thing will kill us all. We yeah. have to have this. So that's that's basically what that's set up. And you said Diffie Hellman, so that's a real thing. That's a real thing, and that's why he went to the... Uh-huh. That was his in, I assume, on the, Got uh, it. All right. the fanfic to, uh, <laughs> to make it mayonnaise-based. But yeah, so he's essentially put this up... Um, well, I think I think we get to that later. How he's what he's about to do with it. But we, we move on to chapter six, where we get some of uh, Tenkado's backstory. Yeah, finally we get a, a picture of this guy. Yeah, which is... I found pretty entertaining. Uh, yeah, so he, um, let's see. Well, you start, because I think mine is not till a little later. I've okay, I mean, it says his his backstory was that his mom traveled to Hiroshima to work as a nurse, and uh, it was there, uh, post, you know, A-bomb, it was there she became one of the Hibakusha, the radiated people. 90, 19 years later, at the age of 36, she lay in the delivery room bleeding internally. She knew she was finally going to die. What she did not know was that her death would spare her the final horror. 
her only child was to be born deformed. So it's getting kind of harsh. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is deeply harsh. <laughs> and then his father uh, is bewildered by the loss of his wife and shamed by the arrival of what the nurses told him was an imperfect child who would probably not survive the night. He disappeared from the hospital and never came back. So, uh, yeah, uh, Takato's had a rough go of it, but um, he doesn't really, uh, you know, always look on the bright side. He instead, every night... Tankado stared down at the twisted fingers holding his Daruma wish doll and swore he'd have revenge. Revenge against the country that had stolen his mother and shamed his father into abandoning him. Well, I don't but, think the country shamed his father into <laughs> abandoning him. Right, yes. It does. Another mixed metaphor there or a mixed sentence. But uh, fortunately, uh, salvation comes in the form of a trial of a new keyboard for handicapped children. And we get more uh, more Royal Tenenbaums here. Although Ensai Takado had never seen a computer, it seemed he instinctively knew how to use one. So contrast that with like every time you tried to show a uh, parent or grandparent how to do something on a computer. And it was just like, you know, no one who's seen a computer has any idea how to use them before. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this guy uh, in Japan in the uh, late 70s was, uh, was was picking up on it instantly. And he becomes, of course, he's a wizard. And he soon, soon Ensai Tankado was known across Tokyo as Fugusha Kisai, the crippled genius. <laughs> I just thought he's probably going, you, you just drop the, drop the one word. Yeah. How, how about <laughs> Dr. Internet? I, uh... <laughs> nobody, nobody is aware of you. All you're seeing is the output. You're not watching me do it with my crippled hands, so you don't have to bring it up. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, like, you know, it's not... Mordecai three-fingered brown in the 20s. This is, uh, again, the <laughs> yeah. doesn't seem appropriate. I got a, a really good uh, a deal on a car from this used car salesman. Ugly Dan, I call him. <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't even know that if you didn't bring it up. So. <laughs> um, but I, I like this detail, too. So he's he's been, you know, every night he's he's staring at his twisted fingers as he prays for America's death. And then we get this. Tonkato eventually read about Pearl Harbor and Japanese war crimes, and his hatred of America slowly faded. So, <laughs> so did he think that the A-bomb was just like Harry Truman was twiddling his thumbs and was like, you know what we should do? <laughs> there was a bit of a lead up to it, uh, regardless of what you think about it. Uh, and it, so it faded and he became a devout Buddhist. Yeah. So that was his, uh, his twisted life is over. So it's a weird... Um, you know, supervillain thing that gets thwarted right away. Like every night he curses it, but but he didn't. He became a Buddhist, <laughs> right? Yeah, and he works for the NSA. So, right. Uh, no, um, no supervillain here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, do we get the? I think my favorite weird food detail of the whole uh, section so far. Um, despite his large salary, Tankado went to work on an old moped and ate a bag lunch alone at his desk. Instead of joining the rest of the department for prime rib and vichyssoise in the commissary, <laughs> I, I, I that was just sort of I put the book down and be like, what on earth is going on? Like this government agency is providing one expensive prime rib and two weird potato leek soup for for its members. Like not even Google would provide those. I feel like vichyssoise feels. Like something in 1972, you would tell someone was a fancy thing. <laughs> right. Uh, like as a jokey thing, you know. 
uh, in a you know Carol Burnett sketch or something. Oh, we're having vichyssoise tonight. It is not something that would be <laughs> slung around in any commissary, no matter how how well they were funded. Yeah, the guy with the hairnets. Enjoy the vichyssoise, you know, Mister Tingado. <laughs> I'll cut you off a bit of this prime rib and then sling some cold soup at you. <laughs> right, it's cold. I forgot about that detail. But yeah, if the you know, it's like a uh, you you cut to the you know Senate Finance Committee that's like you know we're you know we're either going to cut uh, you know public education or what's this vicious law like get those idiots to eat some uh, you know turkey sandwiches. Yeah, congressional oversight committees when they you know grilling the head of the NSA. <laughs> I got a copy of your menu here. I'm obviously this is a misprint, but I'll read it anyway. You can laugh it off, but uh, you're not eating vichyssoise at the NSA. Are you? This starts a Mr. Smith 17-hour filibuster to defend his vichyssoise. <laughs> Oh, why the weird food choices, Dan Brown? Why? I hope they keep coming. Keep it's, them coming, of course. Delightful. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, essentially he uh, he gets, uh, Ensai gets outraged because it's sort of revealed that, um, I guess that uh, Translator is going to be able to read every email. It's not just going to require, you know, a search warrant, essentially. Yeah, so he becomes the whistleblower. Right. And, and he leaves. Right. But again, you know, he gets mad at the NSA for spying on people is sort of like um, your former coworker going to McDonald's and being like, you, you're not vegetarians here. Like, this will not stand. Like, right. you know, what, you sort of you didn't really read the room right when you walked in the door here. And unfortunately, instead of, you know, drawing sharpieing a wang under the side of translator, uh, <laughs> he makes the he makes the digital fortress instead out of his right. anger. So that's where we are. But well, but it, this detail was was provided, but not elaborated on. It says that they had no choice but to stop him. Uh, he was captured and deported, he, and widely publicized among online news groups had been an unfortunate public shaming. Against Strathmore's wishes, the NSA damage control specialists, nervous that Tankato would try to convince people of Translator's existence, generated rumors that destroyed his credibility. And he was shunned by the global com computer community. And they keep alluding to these things without revealing what these rumors are, uh, why he's been shunned, what the public shaming is. And we're just left to we're left to imagine it on our own. So um, shunned by the global computer community doesn't seem like a thing that would turn me <laughs> into a supervillain. <laughs> right. But think about what the what the global computer computer community is down with, and then what it requ would require to be shunned by them, and uh, it starts to become a fairly short list. So that's that's true. I, I feel like maybe it's the uh, uh, remember in Arrested Development when Job gets kicked out of the magicians' guild or something. You know, <laughs> it's, it means everything to him. We don't really understand it, but uh, okay, fine. Right, shunned okay. by the computer community. <laughs> Um, well, that's it for that chapter for me. It's it's Takato's backstory, and as we all know from the um, from the prologue, he was found dead in Spain uh, earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. And that's I think that's what they discuss in chapter seven. Uh, yes, chapter seven. This one is uh, jargony as hell, too, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this this is where they introduce you know the title Digital Fortress. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so here's my first question about it. Then it probably would embed the algorithm in a tamper-proof chip, and within five years, every computer would become would come preloaded with a digital fortress chip. 
Mm. So they went pretty quick to that, that there's something that's called a tamper-proof chip. <laughs> and we're just supposed to accept that. So this sure. is them speculating that, um, you know, if we don't stop it, we every computer in the fu- future will be safe from us spying on them. Right. So that's the emergency that, right. that we're supposed to get caught up in, right? Like, well, we have to stop this. Right, yes. I, I would never want to buy a computer that nobody could spy on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's sort of like the, well, if you don't have anything to hide, like type of thing. Because um, they, they pretty much say, uh, pretty much just say, you know, we won't be able to stop terrorists. That's their That's their hook for the rest of us. Yes, yeah. And if the price we have to pay is that we don't get to have tamper-proof chips preloaded with Digital Fortress, so be it. Right. Yeah. And maybe the tamper-proof chips are just welded shut like uh, like Transletter is. Um, we, we don't know. Yeah, right. But uh-huh. yeah, we, he, he does a lot of this of just, here's the way it works. Uh, if you don't know anything about this, you're probably going to believe it. So um, the you know, nails on a chalkboard if you do. But otherwise, it's, uh, sure, tamper-proof chips and unbreakable codes. Every third grader with a modem will be able to send codes we can't break, et cetera. Uh, Biggleman safe. Yes, that's. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Biggleman safe. That was. A, so, yeah, that's a, a safe with the instructions to crack it locked inside it. Right. Right. And so this fairly long chapter with all of that, just explaining it. And then uh, there was a long silence. Susan, Susan breathed deeply as if to absorb the terrifying truth. Ensei Tenkato has created an unbreakable algorithm. He's holding us hostage. I was like, Yes, that's what the last <laughs> half hour was about. Yes. We've literally been sitting here drilling down on every aspect of it. Maybe she was mentally solving, uh, you know, uh, unknown prime numbers or something with her genius IQ and missed that little subtle hint. Right. But I guess it's sort of the, um, you know, the double elimination tournament. Uh, yeah. Folks, in case you missed it, in case all yes. of this started to look like a haze of gibberish in front of you, this is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, it is. It's holding exactly Holding us that. hostage. <laughs> but yeah, so he's uh digital fortress is, you know, encrypted with itself. He's posted it on his website already. Um but he wants to auction off the key to the to the highest bidder which uh causes Susan to pull in a long breath and also makes her stomach tighten. Uh you wonder if that perfectly flat abdomen was already not tight, but uh yeah. it's hard to She's uh, letting herself go already. <laughs> She's probably, you know, this you can't drink too many quarts of orange juice would be my uh, caution right. to her. <laughs> Uh, this this thing made me laugh out of the, as a reaction out of context. Um, he has given the the key to a guardian angel, essentially the uh, if I don't if I if the government kills me, I want you to do this type of thing. Um, Strathmore says he posts uh, the guardian will post it on the internet, puts it in the newspaper, on billboards. In effect, he gives it away. Susan's eyes widened. Free downloads, <laughs> which is a funny, you know, you know, it's always just out of context. But that was in the day of, you know, Bonzi Buddy being a free download or, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was it called? Winamp type of thing. Being like, it's free. You have, you know, when free software was not the, the de facto standard. Uh, but then we get a, a greater reaction from her towards the end of this chapter. And it becomes an exclamation point overload. <laughs> she suddenly stood. Her voice was determined. We must contact Tankado. There must be a way to convince him not to release. We can offer him triple the highest bid. <laughs> we can clear his name. Anything. Really? 
all of them exclamation wow. points. Oh man, it's like that uh, Antigua book that we wanted to read, which you know, which that was the uh, the thing everyone made fun of that self published book about. But here it after, is in the best after her first phrase. Of course, Strathmore is going. What are you doing? Sit down. <laughs> Relax. We are. You are a professional. Please. Yeah, what are you really... doing? Um. But yeah, she sort of says like, you know, do we have uh, do we have any skilled assassins? And uh, it ends with one of these. Uh, I didn't have the exact same thing, but he's like, that won't be necessary. Ensai Tancado was found dead in Spain this morning. Yeah, he took a deep breath. Too late. <laughs> he took a deep breath. He wrung out his sweat towel into his uh, garbage can, and the plip plop it made was uh, as revolting as his bulbous nose. His, his hair shot out in every direction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somehow his hair was both sweaty and flying away wildly. And yes, we mean out of his ears, too. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, uh, that's all I got for chapter seven. Yeah. And then we have another very brief one of chapter eight, which. Uh, goes back to David Becker, our chiseled uh, Greek god of a squash player who we'd forgotten about it for a while here, but he's um, we, it's revealed where he was headed, and that was to Sevilla, Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what is he doing on the plane as he lands? He's tossing back the last of his cranberry juice and put the glass on, on the wet bar and scooped up his suit coat. It's <laughs> but here's a, here's a detail that struck me as funny. So uh, Becker stood and stretched. After unlatching the overhead compartment, he remembered he had no luggage. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's not something that we do. But there had been no time to pack. It didn't matter. He'd been promised the trip would be brief in and out. And I just thought, this is the guy who washes his head in a drinking fountain. I think he'll be <laughs> fine, you know, stopping at a CVS and, right, yeah. and grabbing a few things for a few yeah, hours. Deodorant and wet nap shower. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's so fastidious, but so funny that you forget that you didn't have luggage. Like you open the compartment. <laughs> uh, this was an interesting peek into his, uh, into his, his worldview as well. So he's been flown on a private jet to Europe. And, uh, when he lands, I guess the only person that he has contact with is the pilot who presents him with an envelope and says like, you know, this is, this is your payment. Becker thumbed through the thickest stack of reddish bills. What the? Local currency, the pilot offered flatly. I know what it is, Becker stammered, but it's it's too much. All I need is taxi fare. Becker did the conversion in his head. What is he, What's in here is worth thousands of dollars. And I just wondered, like, in what scenario would you say that to the guy who drove you somewhere? You know, like, the guy, you know, this is probably like some, you know, former naval pilot who's, like, stone-faced. It's like, do not care, sir, like, working in the interest of national security. Please do not discuss your payment rate with me. But also a, a, a lame trait that they're trying to make of this guy is that he has an aversion to money. Like he doesn't. Yeah, he's care. a Trappist monk or something. Like just take the money. It would probably be figured out later if you got overpaid or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's like thousands of dollars. Well, sure. That private jet you just flew on probably cost tens of thousands of dollars. So uh, maybe adjust your expectations for how much this mission is 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 costing whoever's putting it in charge. Uh, do you think he's going to get back in time for, to Stone Manor trip with Susan? Oh man, I have I worry about their their relationship. I feel like the cords are beginning to fray. I, I do too. I think they said that the cords are beginning to fray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chapter uh, but, nine. 
Yep, that's is it. This is the last chapter of the section. And uh, this one introduces a new character, system security guy, Chartrukian. Yeah. Chartrukian. Mm. Is that uh, is that Armenian name, Chartrukian? Could be. It, yeah, it sounds like uh, Armin Tanzarian from The Simpsons. Ah, there we go. I, I don't know. That was Principal Skinner's real name. And anyway, that's what it reminded me of. I see. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he walks into the room. I don't have a ton of notes for this. This is I don't you know, either. Um, um, but yeah, he 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 notices that. Uh, I guess I'm not sure if Susan and and Strathmore are still in the office, but he walks in, notices that the workstation of Transliter is unmanned, and he says that you know there's one thing he knew for certain: if Strathmore found out about the CISSEC, found out the CISSEC lab was unmanned, it would cost the absent rookie his job. So I just wondered if they were gonna you know post pictures of him and just panties something somewhere to spread these awful rumors and get him <laughs> shunned by the global community or whatever they did to Tenkato. <laughs> uh, we do get from Chartruki and a few Kleinian things. Uh-huh. Uh, Chartruki and felt himself break a sweat. Ooh, wow. <laughs> no, he didn't break a sweat. He felt himself. Wow. He's stepping away from his own reality there. Uh, and then this was a, an analogy that struck me as not really necessary, but here it is stuck in there. Snooping data was a lot like having indiscriminate sex. Protection or no protection, sooner or later you caught something. Is that how it works? Is that the I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> um, sure, sure. All right. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the this was another thing that I thought was going to be uh, uh, seeing a lot of in this book. It's sort of along the same lines as out of feeling yourself break a sweat. As if in slow motion, he set down the phone and stared in open mouth wonder. So you've got that of the person on the other line doing the hello, hello. And he's, oh, my God, <laughs> as the you know, matrix text is scrolling past on his screen. Right. Uh, so he starts. The only thing in this chapter is what he so he runs a, a virus check on it or a something? A virus probe. A virus probe, Chartruki, and said firmly, trying to calm himself down, I should run a virus probe. <laughs> so that's something that this uh, NSA expert is saying out loud to himself. And um, I'll, uh, I'll establish Chartrukian's voice here as he says this, as he, he launches the thing, and it says it would take 15 minutes, and he says, Come back clean, squeaky clean, tell daddy it's nothing. <laughs> Uh, the end of the chapter is it was not nothing, of course. Yes, yes. something very unusual was going on. Tell Daddy that he hasn't caught a virus from indiscriminate, indiscriminate sex. sex. Protection or no protection, Daddy's going no protection, but he knows sooner or later he's going to catch something. I, I'd, uh, I'd hope somebody was over his shoulder as he was doing that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul, hey Chartruk, what's uh, <laughs> who's <man>. Daddy? Uh, <laughs> Who are you talking what, to there, buddy? What, what's the name of that Andy Daly character? Oh, um, oh, what is that? I can't come remember. on, virus probe a little something for Daddy. Something for Daddy. But yeah, he says uh, he sensed it was not nothing. Instinct told him something very unusual was going on inside the great decoding beast. <laughs> who later on we learn some guy wants to pin uh, our hero in up against it, and uh, you know. You know, he that daddy doesn't want nothing. That daddy wants something. I wish they hadn't welded that part shut. I'd like to pin her up against that too. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh boy! On that note, wow. 
Yeah. That's the end of our uh, our section this time. That was 62 pages in our trade paperbacks, which are a very strange um, trim size. They're like, uh, it's, it's hard to open without like cracking the spine yeah, every time too, you do it. too thick for the, yeah. Yeah, the, it needs to be a little wider and uh, margins could be a little fat or a little yeah. skinnier. I, I think that the uh, normal paperback was $2 extra, so I bought the slightly cheaper one. Possibly a mistake. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I read off of the ebook anyway, so it doesn't matter oh. to me. All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I, we'll have to find the uh, the um, assignment for next time, but that was like 13,000 words, and I thought that was a fairly uh, decent, easy easy to read section. Yeah, uh, but I wouldn't go more. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll post it in the show notes. Um, let's do some, uh, let's do the dumb sentence of the week. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period or an exclamation. Feels like it's been a while since we've heard that, gentlemen. Yeah, you know, uh, you know what someone pointed out is that the uh, that was the uh, length of time during all those memes early on in the uh, coronavirus thing. That was the amount of time that it would take to properly wash your hands. Oh, okay. the, uh, the first uh, verse or something of the sentence song. So that'd be great uh, if that was the official government recommendation. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So this is the dumb sentences of our week sent in by listeners. Obviously, we got a ton of these because there was a lot of dumb sentences. We've touched on some of them, but uh, we will go through uh, and then give you some of our own. The first one was Patrick submitted. Uh, trailing her was the faint scent of Johnson's baby powder. Uh, we talked about that, but Patrick added on. This, uh, his own little tweak here, he said, presumably the guard, intimately familiar with it and redolent of his own talc screw. <laughs> Thank so, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Augusta submitted, Susan found herself, this is, I think, in reference to their date and their banter. Uh, Susan found herself laughing more than she'd ever thought possible. <laughs> so constant, unstoppable, hysterical laughter uh, David is causing. Joker origin story. Yes. Uh, Tom H. Kahn and Janelle all submitted Susan Fletcher's legs. That was a popular one, obviously. Um, this is a Carrie submitted. This is another from the exact same uh, thing as two of the first three. But finally, the security guard shook his head as she disappeared in the distance. And it said, she just, Carrie wrote it. I think Carrie's a he. She did not disappear in the distance. She went around a corner or a door. The hallway's not long enough for her to become too small for his eyes to resolve, which exactly. is another funny way to think about that. Uh, Curtis, uh, Lisi, and Brian all submitted this, which requires some context. It appeared a translator had been working on one code for over 15 hours, and one of them s- submitted the context. This sentence doesn't seem too dumb on its own, but it's dumb because it's not just the second, but the third time it's been established that translator had been working on one code for over 15 hours within the less span of less than 100 words. Wow. Yeah, I, I, think, I saw that that was repeated, but that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> it said, uh, I think the guy said it's been 15 hours. It then showed like a screenshot of the time code that said 15 hours, and then it appeared it had been working for 15 hours. Man. This was my favorite of all the ones. I had glossed over it, but uh, it made me laugh out loud and had to go show Lauren. George submitted, I'll say, she thought. <laughs> <laughs> You have to tip your hat to that one. Like that's, you know, that's like in a, I I don't, I wouldn't have been able to come up with it, but it's beyond parody. That is very good. Um, uh, We have Lucas, the EFF is all over me about civilian privacy rights again. And he just thinks it's hilarious that uh, 
the EFS going to be set up as the villain, but then it, it then goes on to the standard Dan Brown thing. Susan chuckled. The EFF, or Electronics Foundier, Frontier Foundation, was a worldwide coalition. And that's the, uh, I think that is the, the true hallmark of the man, is doing, doing that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, I also note that uh, uh, chuckling is not necessarily... I don't know. It's just a weird <laughs> right. word. Right. I guess if they're breathing down your neck again, like that's the, uh, the uh, a rueful chuckle, I guess. It's not yeah, supposed to. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Andrew and Elizabeth both submitted this one. He gave an imperceptible sign and the gate swung open. So oh, wow. <laughs> if it was someone, their commentary, if it was truly imperceptible, the other person would not know what was given and open. the fence would not be able to open. But uh, hopefully there's other things about that security guard that are imperceptible. He's crossing his legs or holding his backpack in front of him to keep that imperceptible uh this one is uh from michael uh the sound of the generators eight stories below sounded oddly ominous today and he 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 edited that one the sound sounded ominous (laughs) um this is from ruth computer viruses were as varied as bacterial viruses and Ruth said, as hopefully everyone knows in this age of COVID-19, bacteria and viruses are completely different. Viruses aren't even cells. The rest of the book is stupid, but this is seventh grade science. I've uh, I've not paid enough attention to know if that's true or not, but I'll take her word on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Heather, uh, she says she loathes the one word sentences in the book, especially when the word is its own paragraph. I think authors use them to manufacture drama, but it's just dumb. So my dumb sentence of the week is anarchy. I think that's in in response to what Digital Fortress would unleash. Sure, right. (laughs) And this is the uh, the last one. Uh, Joel submitted, although Ensai Takato was not alive during the Second World War. Okay, let me start again. Although Ensai Takato was not alive during the Second World War, he carefully studied everything about it. And so Joel said, apparently Dan Brown thinks it's unusual that someone would take an interest in events from before one's birth. Wait until he hears about Civil War reenactors. Pretty spy for spry for a bunch of 155 year olds. (laughs) (laughs) And then but thankfully he studied because that's when he realized that, uh, uh, you know, the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. Right. Well, you know, the country was locked down, uh, you know, propaganda. You never know. (laughs) Uh, that's it for the... Oh, wait. Let's do our own. Well, my own was burnt. It's the uh, 10 minutes later, Becker was in the NSA commissary enjoying a popover and cranberry juice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that wins, right? Come on. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I think one of mine... I have two. Two of mine that... I think two of mine weren't burnt. Yep. I have two. I think one of them comes from that same meeting. There they were. This is all one sentence. There they were, two highly analytical minds, presumably immune to irrational infatuations, but somehow, while they sat there discussing linguistic morphology and pseudo-random number generators, they felt like a couple of teenagers. Everything was fireworks. Oh, God. Yeah, that's one. And the second one is similar. With Merludi's, I think this is Merludi's is the restaurant they're at. With Merludi's napkins and concert programs as her chalkboard, Susan set out to give her charming new pedagogue a mini course in cryptography. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Oh, there's some uh, good stuff in here. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we got a couple good emails, so let's do those quickly. We're going to the party. We're going to the game. We're going to the dinner. Ain't going to cruise out, man. We're stealing people's mail. 
All right. Well, we can start it off with a uh, welcome to our newest and presumably youngest listener, uh, listener Chris. Uh, baby daughter Magdalena was delivered on March 25th. Oh, um, nice. Congratulations. She says, uh, a lot of black hair. We're waiting to see if it will curl like her mom. We're listening to Digital Fortress as an audiobook. So your lo- youngest listener is le- reading along with the book as well. The podcast <laughs> continues to be a light in the darkness, guys. Stay safe in the plague land. So, yeah, congratulations to Chris. And uh, I hope Magdalena enjoyed the ALF skit. <laughs> uh, Magdalena, dark hair, you say? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah. There's a uh, there's a photo challenge for you, Chris. I guess he can't go out in public. Damn it! Right. <laughs> uh, as soon as this ends, we want a uh, we want a, a, a water fountain bath picture. <laughs> uh, next email. This is from Lucas, who said he uh, since we're covering a well known author, I do a bit of research on the creation of the book, and he went down a Dan Brown rabbit hole and has these facts, which he provided sources for because a lot of them are really stupid but evidently true. Uh, before he was an author, he was a songwriter and musician. He released two albums, Dan Brown, self-titled, and Angels and Demons, which he would go on to have a book. He also self-published an album called Musica Animalia, featuring synthesized children's songs about animals. According to Brown, one of his songs was played during the opening festival of the 96 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, but Lucas could not corroborate this. Wow, um, I had no, I had no idea. Did you? Yeah, no, I had no idea. But I, you know, I'm going to have to track down Musica Animalia, or better yet, <laughs> if someone finds a low light from that, please send it to us. Yes. Um, before Digital Fortress, uh, Brown co-authored a satirical book with his wife called "187 Men to Avoid: A Survival Guide for the Romantically Frustrated Woman" under the pseudonym Danielle Brown. I would say that. Mm. Uh, Hale, the uh, sexually frustrated Carpaccio fan, might be one of those 187 men to avoid. (laughs) Uh, According to Brown, he went to a cryptographic news group uh, and contacted several people claiming to be ex-NSA offers as he was writing this. He also claims he often received angry emails over how unrealistic Digital Fortress was, so he had to prove to people that what he was writing about was true. Um, He likes to solve writer's block by hanging upside down using gravity boots. What? His, <laughs> why is that a why is that a fact that's out there? His words know. hanging upside down seems to help me solve plot challenges by shifting my entire perspective. Oh boy. So there's our author. Wow. Um we <laughs> we have uh two two emails. Uh one is uh, two more emails, sorry. Uh one is from Josh who's a Patreon supporter. Hey guys, Digital Fortress is a bit of a treat for me. When I worked in the Air Force and the DOD, I specialized in signals intelligence analysis. The NSA handles Signet. Uh, and anyone working in the field is subordinate, even if you don't work at Fort Meade. I worked in that field for 15 years, and I've been to the NSA. Dan Brown gets some of the basic... And this might have been the same guy who posted the gay chicken challenge. Ah, uh, really? Uh, from ah, our previous one. Yeah. But uh, maybe... I don't, I don't quote me on that. Dan Brown gets some of the basic class un, unclassified science right, which nowadays is a simple uh, Wikipedia away. Uh Though what cracks me up most of his depiction is if the, the NFA itself, NSA itself, leading the reader to believe it's a shining palace full of James Bond-type crypto sleuths. The truth is far less glamorous. Some of the coolest missions at NSA have offices in the basement of the building uh, where the hallways come equipped with exposed pipes and wires. Code breakers are m- much more likely to be found roaming the halls wearing Star Trek communicator pins while staring intensely at their own shoes that they are to be flitting about and wooing visitors at the food court. Speaking of which... The food court is literally what you would find at a mall, which isn't bad, all things considered. Our woman, and women are not an uncommon sight, whether they're conventionally attractive or not. 
But hey, maybe he's confused the NSA for Albania. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't sound like a vicious and prime rib are going to be on the menu. There are, I, there are no food court stores that serve vichyssois that I have ever been aware of. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It could be a side at hot dog on a stick. That's true. And uh, for our final email is from Megan. Uh, she's uh, gotten a little guessing game that we can end on. Oh, okay. I absolutely got stuck on the hard number Brown gives out for Susan Fletcher's IQ, 170. When provided with quantifiable details like this, I find it impossible to let go without finding real-world examples of where our hot nerd genius would line up with other actual intelligent people throughout history. So I googled a few IQs of a few people and wrote down the first answer. So it isn't deeply researched, but thought it might be interesting if you wanted to uh, guess and see where she ranks in relation to all these people. So um, I'll just give you the people. You just say higher or lower. Okay. Okay. Uh, Galileo. Uh, Higher. So you think Susan is higher than, or you think Galileo, no, Galileo is higher. higher? Okay, Immanuel Kant. I'm gonna say lower. René Descartes. Uh, higher, because I think he was polymath too. So. Okay. Uh, uh, Charles Darwin. Uh, I'm gonna say lower. Uh, Ludwig van Beethoven. Uh, I don't know if anyone's quantified it. I would say higher, but okay. Um, Ashton Kutcher. Uh, I would say lower, but okay. <laughs> I, I think he's intelligent. Stephen Hawking? Um, the same. Okay. Albert Einstein? Uh, higher, I think. Okay. Ben Stein of uh, Ben Stein's Money? Uh, the same. I think he's like a Mensa type, right? Yeah. You say lower. Same. Oh, same. Equal. Got yes. it. Um, uh, Bobby Fischer? Uh, lower. And Thomas Edison? Uh, lower. Okay. Well, I read those in descending order. So the way the list would actually work would be, uh, Galileo, 185. Immanuel Kant, 185. Descartes, 180. Susan Fletcher, 170. (laughs) (laughs) Charles Darwin, 165. Beethoven, 165. Kutcher and Hawking, both at 160. Oh, and Einstein. And then Ben Stein and Bobby Fischer at 150 and Thomas Edison at 145. Okay. So uh, she, you got uh, Kant, Darwin, Kutcher, Hawking, Fisher, and Edison correct, I think, on there. But she's, uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's up, up there, there with some titans. I had read once that I think Goethe is thought to have, I mean, in all of this is utter speculation. Sure, yeah, right, yeah. But, uh, you know, like 195 is possible or something. Like well, that, so. I mean, I think the IQ test I took in second grade was like, put these three comic strip panels in order type of thing. Or like, <laughs> what does this shape look like from the front and then above? So like, how do you apply that to, yeah, Galileo at 185? Wow, I'm getting, sorry, I'm getting pinged on my phone. You got to keep well, it probably, on these days, you know. Yeah, a good sign to wrap up probably. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, thanks for joining us, everybody. This has been really fun. It's going to be a fun book, I think. Yeah, and thanks, Patreon people, for sticking with us through all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everyone should stay safe and hope everyone is. So Yeah, be well. There's 372 pages. We'll be back soon. Peace. <laughs>